Welcome in, listeners. This is a Wagney Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Garini, joined by my co-host, Nick Musto. Nick, how we doing? How's it going, everybody? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Dude, I'm like pumped because it is pretty much August. It's a July 26. Um, training camp started. We're like in the thick of things right now. We can actually just bullshit a bunch of news. I'm having dreams about waking up Sunday morning, turning on Red Zone and like whatever the best game on TV is. I'll put that on the TV, Red Zone on my laptop and just vegetate in the couch for nine hours. Eight hours, burn like 50 calories, consume 1,400 calories of buffalo chicken dip. Buffalo chicken dip. (laughs) Yep. Um, So it's like the first couple days of training camp. So we actually have some training camp news we're going to mention first. Let me read them off. Sure. James Robinson will not start training camp on the pup list. Uh, However, Doug Peterson will still be cautious with him. Uh, What exactly does that impact? Does that change anything for you right now? I mean, I I had thought that he was going to appear on the pup to start, but... Can you explain the pup actually um, a little bit? Because I don't fully understand the training camp pup. So during training camp, there, there's two different pups. There's training camp pup and then there's football season pup. So training camp pup, you can enter the pup and leave it like the same day. There's no um, restriction making you stay on the pup for X amount of weeks so or so. It's basically just like a roster spot that would be freed up on the spot. In Pretty case much. They want to bring in somebody else. Yes. During training camp camp. And then once the season starts then there's that pup where it's a designated four weeks injury, you're off you're okay. not playing. So that's the difference. So it's not as big of a concern when it's training camp pump because they could leave at any time. So basically this is just uh bullshit. James Robinson's still recovering. Yeah. Doesn't really impact how I'm going to measure that Jacksonville backfield yet. Um, Matt Patricia is the acting offensive coordinator in new England. They do not want to label him the offensive coordinator for a couple different reasons. Um, Bill Belichick's ambiguity, mm-hmm. the mysteriousness behind that man. Uh, and also they'd be required to give perhaps Matt Patricia a raise, which they don't necessarily want to do. Uh, let's move on to Kansas City. Justin Ross is on the season-ending IR, gone before he even began. More significantly, Orlando Brown is not reporting He's in contract disputes. He was labeled the franchise tag. He's looking for a long-term deal. Between those two teams, are are you – I'm most concerned actually about Orlando Brown not reporting. He's one of the best tackles in the yeah. game. Um, again, I, how can you it's, – it's just so early in training camp. It's just hard to really – like, care yeah it's hard, to, <laughs> it's hard care. to care it's hard that's the best way to put justin it. ross was uh the the wild fantasy of many undrafted rookies their dreams mm. um we all thought we were hoping he'd be something special but he's behind the game i'm actually concerned about matt patricia being the acting oc not necessarily like a dig on him he you know he he was a mediocre coach uh when actually he was piss poor at Detroit, but he's been solid with New England. I'm just concerned that that offense is going to be bland as all can be. It's yeah, I I have I'm not taking the only piece that I may take a part of, and it, it's if my draft goes poorly of New England is Damian Harris. I'll take Hunter Henry. I, I yeah okay, <laughs> he'll catch a touchdown every other week or 
I mean, that'd be good, but he'll catch a few touchdowns this season. He's probably their number one red zone target again. Um, maybe a little, little Devonte Parker hype. He'd be my favorite receiver yeah. from that group, but there's still, so nothing. many. It's so watered down. Yeah. Lastly, we'll go to Buffalo. The bills are practicing more two plus tight end sets. That's kind of what I expected with Ken Dorsey coming in. Yeah. They signed OJ Howard over the off season. They bring back Dawson Knox. Nothing flashy there, but something to monitor that just actually broke over the last hour or two is Jamison Crowder missed with an undisclosed injury, and Khalil Shakir filled in successfully. He had a really great day one. Um, that's something that I'm going to monitor because Jamison Crowder is one of my favorite sleepers at wide receiver. Um, in fact, we'll talk to talk about him later in the week. Um, so how concerned would you be if Crowder continues to miss time and Shakir, the, the rookie out of Boise state shines? So what are we, we're about a month and a half from the season. Yep. A month and six weeks. Yeah. Okay. Six weeks. Yep. Just about. So I'd start paying more attention to who's popping up where healthy, unhealthy in about three weeks, I'd say. Yeah. That's when I'd really start to care. Two two weeks from now, if you get, dinged up for four weeks yeah in, in jeopardy and missing time yeah just just keep just keep an eye on it we'll do our best to highlight everything that seems important as, as time goes on as oh we get closer uh, to the season. actually breaking news joe burrow is going under the knife and getting his appendix removed really yep so That'll he's gonna okay. have one last is an appendix an organ does that count as an organ in the body yeah but it's not like necessary. it's not necessary yeah. i know people get room move but that's but another just think about burrow without his appendix we saw him with his appendix so yeah. who knows so better or worse, he could be faster with that <laughs> yeah appendix. lost some weight i um, noticed did you see um i think it's three of the new two or three of the new signees to the bengals line are also injured right now they're not I participating not. yes I not. Yep. uh we're gonna have to carve for more nuggets closer yeah throughout training camp let's get into what we're talking about today we are going to each pick a really the centric idea is running back sleepers um running backs that we expect to supersede their adp um and we go down a little bit deeper into the depth charts of running backs. Uh, we're going to have a quarterback sleeper, just one, because it is a thin position. And there's really only one or two guys outside the top 15 quarterbacks that we can see having a good chance of finishing mm-hmm. much higher than where they're going. And then we'll play a little game at the end we call running back ceiling and floor. Uh, we'll get into that when we get into it. But Nick. I've been talking too long. Who's your quarterback sleeper? My year? quarterback sleeper this year is Kirk Cousins. Um, the definition of mediocrity. He's going as QB 16. Smack dab yeah, in the exactly. middle, baby. It, it highlights him perfectly. Um, but Kirk is an underrated quarterback, I think. He's a good quarterback. He's been in bad systems. He was in Washington in a bad system. And then with... Um, you want to hear something that I just like discovered the other day? Sure. Kirk Shoot. has seven seasons as a starting quarterback six of them he's thrown for over four thousand yards that's incredible those are great numbers yeah. yeah that's incredible uh yeah ninth in air yards per attempt second in deep balls um kirk is not afraid to throw it down the field and then with o'connell at the helm of the coaching staff now um we're anticipating a more pass heavy offense more four Steph wide receiver Curry, sets they're calling him yes that <laughs> splash play that's what kirk's going to be it's going to benefit jefferson thielen herb smith kj osborne all of those receivers in that offense 
Um, I, I'm taking Kirk at the end of most drafts because that's where you can get him. Um, if you're in a 12 team league, there's a good chance that you can get him in like the ninth or 10th round. Like he's that cheap right now. Um, he's, he's, I I definitely want a slice of this Minnesota offense and with him at the helm, he's, he's pretty much the best value you can get out of this offense. Yeah. Take it at the head. You like the value. And I think if you're doing one QB leagues, He's the kind of like I'm not taking a QB early in one QB leagues unless I can get Kyler and like this like some someone very good drops where it's like oh this is a steal in value so Kirk end of your draft there's your QB I wouldn't really look past him I think Derek Carr is another good option in that area but I like Kirk this year I projected Kirk to actually finish as QB nine for this year there you go. um right above Dak Prescott actually I wish so. I put down his finish because he did finish. He finished well as the, oh, I don't know, off the top of my head, probably QB 11. I thought range. he was top 10, but. Ryan Tannehill was 12. Okay. Um, Derek Carr was 13. He could have been 10. I'm not sure. We should, Let's we talk should, about your. We should have checked that. Yeah, yeah my sure. guy, my guy, I go a little deeper, and that's Ryan Tannehill. He's going as a QB 24 right now, which I find very disrespectful. He's He finished as a QB 12 last year overall. Um, and that was a terrible year for him. He had a 4% touchdown rate. So 4% of his throws went for touchdowns last year. He's at six plus percent the previous three years that's in Tennessee and Miami each. So it's not like you can say, Oh, well, the AJ Brown wasn't healthy last year. And that's why it was lower. No, it was just a fluky bad year. I think for Ryan Tannehill, he's been a very good quarterback recently. Um, I projected him as my QB 16. And I projected him at 4.8% touchdown rate. Um, Another thing with Tannehill is his rushing upside. He had seven rushing touchdowns the last two years. I project him with 4.3, so significant, not significant, but a moderate drop-off from that. Still supported QB 16 numbers. I don't think you're going to find a quarterback outside the top 20 uh, that can finish inside the top 15 as well yeah. as Ryan Tannehill can. Last year, he was considered a QB sleeper as well because he was going later and and he was supposed to perform well. Um, I know a lot of people that were like high on him last year. And then he had the down year. He was missing the receivers. He was genuinely like bad on the field, like 21 but, yeah. touchdowns, 14 picks. However, he somehow finished as a QB 12. I think yeah. it's because he only – he he's the rushing touchdowns too. That definitely helps yeah. uh, pad the stats. He was one of the few quarterbacks that actually played 17 games last year also. Are um, you concerned at all this year with the changing in the weapons? Not, like, it's kind of priced into where he's going right yeah. now. Uh, not really for where he's going. Like, last year he was dealing with A.J. Brown, who missed four games, and then his wide receiver two was – Julio Jones for half the season, who's not on a team right now. Mm. And then his number one for four games while AJ Brown gone was what's his name? Well, I, I can't believe we're, we're at the Steelers. Westbrook. Westbrook Nick, Nick, he, yeah, Nick. whatever. Nick Westbrook. Uh, no. I remember him from Indiana. I remember we were at that Steelers Titans game where he was the number one receiver in that game. He was a dog. He was. <laughs> I threw a player prop on him right before and it, it didn't hit because I was too ambitious, but. Yeah, so I, I would expect, because he was missing his receivers last year, for him to perform better in the passing game this season. Yeah, nonetheless, like, his weapons are adequate from last year. And, yeah. You know, he has Robert Woods, who's a trustworthy veteran. 
He's got a young, tantalizing star. We don't know what Traylon Burks is going to bring to the table. I do know that he is a wrecking ball of a human being, and he has mm-hmm. Austin Hooper, a nice safety blanket. So I'm not that concerned with Tennessee's weapons. I also think they're probably a viable candidate to add a veteran wide receiver before the season, like OBJ or something. Yeah, like that. If he, yeah, if they did that, he'd come back like November. Yeah, and there you go. You got OBJ on that offense too, so could uh, have a playoff push with Tannehill. We're gonna flip it over. So that's our one quarterback sleeper that we're gonna cover. Now we're going to running back sleepers and each of us kind of structured this in similar ways where we have a guy going in the back end of the RB2 range that we expect to finish much higher. And then we have two guys outside the top 25 of their position that we see just improving based off where they're going or providing adequate value where they're going. So who's your guy? So my, my first guy that I'm going to bring up here is Elijah Mitchell going as the RB23. And if you pay attention to this podcast, I've talked about Elijah Mitchell all offseason. I Broken love record. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be brief. Um, I love Elijah Mitchell. We haven't seen in six years a running back for the 49ers have 17 plus carries in more than two games in a season. The last one was Raheem Mostert, where he had two 17 carry games. And now we have Elijah Mitchell last year who had six 17 carry games. So does that put an end to the carousel of lead running backs? I in San Francisco? think it does. They drafted Tyrion Davis price. Um, not the type of running back that we're used to out of San Francisco. We're used to the speedier kind of dual threat running backs. I can catch and run. Um, he's more of a big ground pound guy, but um. What I like about Elijah Mitchell is the efficiency. He got fit. It was at 4.7 yards per carry, and he was playing injured for a lot of the season. He was beat up throughout the season, so keep that in mind. But with him, he had 11 games, 963 yards, uh, 4.7 yards per carry, multiple 17-carry games. He really put on a show to end the season last year, and I think that Shanahan may have finally found a guy that he can trust consistently in the run game he showed that he could handle the workload last year when he was playing how significant is the beat reporters reports rbbc yeah uh well coming coming out of san francisco yeah we hear about backfield committee all the Mm -hmm. time is that something that you're closely monitoring throughout here i did just see that report as well that they were possibly going to institute a running back by committee this year um that's always been their game plan. It was their game plan last year. And we yeah, saw Elijah Mitchell so. take over the RB1 role. So, no, I'm not worried. We never see they're, – they're never honest. The San Francisco beat reporters are never right, and they're never honest. I'm not concerned. I think Elijah Mitchell, just based on what he did last year and the trust that he showed that he had with uh, Shanahan, that he is going to elevate this year, and I'll finish above running back 23. So, I'm going to – definitely monitor that situation very closely i'm going to be reading up on the news i'm not going to refute what the beat reporters are saying i'm definitely going to be monitoring it um now let me pick a guy that i'm a broken record over going back to back with elijah mitchell right before him is josh jacobs at rb22 he i've already talked enough about this dude so i too am going to keep it as brief as i can i projected as as my rb14 He's in an improved offense with Devontae Adams coming along. That's going to they, the big catalyst with Josh Jacobs is that he scored seven plus touchdowns each of his first three years. 
Las Vegas ranked 29th in red zone efficiency last year. Josh McDaniels comes in. He's a he's an elite offensive coordinator, offensive minded head coach. Now, um, I'm expecting Jacobs to punch it in much more than he has in, in the last three years, and that was already a safe, comfortable range. I think he's clear cut starting running back. He's he passes my eye test. People say he's not a good running back. I disagree. Uh, you see him ripping off chunk plays. I wish I had his breakaway run rate on hand because it is valuable. Um, so yes, Josh Jacobs is my guy in the back half of the, the RB2 range. And I think we'll finish more towards the front than the back half. Similar reports about running back by committee were coming from Las Ve- or LA as well. Well, Las Vegas shit. It's L- <laughs> LV. Yes, I, I, I almost said Oakland earlier. Yeah, so. yeah constantly changing. Raiders. But um, I feel like we're going to hear about that with all, like nearly every applicable backfield. There's going to be beat any backfield that has multiple guys. Yep. I guess. If you're not like one of the cream of the crop even, backs. I even feel like we're hearing that out of Indianapolis with Naheem Hines. Yeah. Like I see speculation that he's going to cut into JT. Yeah, like get the fuck yeah, out right. of here. All right, so you want to move on? Go to your next guy, yep. All right, so my next guy that we're looking at is Rashad Penny, RB29 off the board. Um, so it's interesting with Rashad, with Rashad Penny. He was a first-round pick um, the year that he was drafted. He was taken to be the guy in Seattle after the um, the after uh, Marshawn Lynch had left the team. And Beast Quake. Yes, Beast Quake. So now they have a guy – First round pick. Oh, they're super high on him and he can't stay healthy. He's never been healthy. Um, I think he's, oh, I wish I wrote this down, but his, he's injured a lot. He um, missed, he played in 10 games last year, started in four. Um, played and, like seven total his first two years. Yeah, it was, it was bad. So uh, last year in the sample size that we got of him, he was on pace for over 2000 yards rushing and over 20 touchdowns. So you think that's sustainable? <laughs> I, mean, I know, I know it's just like crazy stats. It's like a four-game sample, but yeah, yeah so he I he but the point is he balled out. He balled out in the time period that he played. And um what's interesting about him is depending on what platform you're using, um, I know in Sleeper they have Kenneth Walker ranked ahead of Rashad Penny. So that so in that case went a whole damn round earlier in yeah. the mark draft last night. Go to YouTube, watch that. Um You'll see. 16 team. Yeah, 16 team. You're really scraping sleepers from mm-hmm. the bottom of the barrel there. Yep. So I enjoyed it though. I think I actually fun. prefer that because it, it deviates the skill yeah. between managers. You gotta take shots on guys. Shooter, shoot, baby. Um, so what what I'm saying about Rashad Penny is that you can get him after his his running mate, and he's going to be he's the starter. More established. Yeah, I think too. he's without a doubt going to be the starter. And those are what the reports he are looks pointing towards. Super well. good when he runs the ball. Mm-hmm. Like he 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 runs angry. And Pete Carroll loves him. He was first in yards per touch. He was first in breakaway run rate. And he averaged 5.2 yards per carry. I mean, the dude's efficient with the ball in his hands. Yes. He yeah, they hand it to him and good things happen. And I think Pete Carroll knows this as he is a run-heavy coach, he's going to care about who is running the ball. He ain't throwing the ball 40 times with Drew Locke in there. I can assure you that. And when Penny's – if Penny plays 12 games, I feel like he's going to be a steal at RB29. If he plays 12 games as a starter, he's going to finish as a top-10 running back. Oh, that's – ooh, 
Ooh, that's spicy. You don't think so? 12, 12 games as a starter. Through that stretch, he'll be a top 12 games. Player. I'll say through that stretch. Okay, so uh, through that stretch, that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, he's he's an elite option when he's on the field. It's just like, where can you draft him safely knowing that he's going to get dinged up? You don't know the timetable of his return, et cetera, mm-hmm. and so forth. It's also something to monitor is Kenneth Walker and him just throughout training camp Another and training right camp before story. the season starts. Yeah, Every single one of these guys, actually, I feel like everybody, this training camp is very – pivotal and how we value them Mm -hmm. um it it all depends what news gets traction what news is confirmed um from sources or from coaches you know how do we measure the quotes so it's something we're gonna have to diligently cover my guy is another veteran running back but way more veteran than yours going outside the top 30 running backs that's cordero patterson going at rb 33 according to four for four um he was projected as an RB28 in my projections. He finishes the RB9 last year. And Atlanta really didn't do much to bring in competition to take touches away from CP. They signed Damian Williams, another 30-plus-year-old back who sucks. Mm-hmm. And then they bring in Tyler Algier, the fifth-round pick from BYU. So it's not like they really invested much to deviate any touches from Cordero Patterson do you think like do you think it's even possible he finishes inside the top 12 again I I think it's possible but it's hard it's just hard to say because they did bring in Algier um but why take a fifth round guy if like you're not going to use him yeah I mean well I think Algier is going to be used but there's only been four running backs in the history of the NFL draft drafted in the fifth round that have a hundred plus rushes their rookie year. Do you know any of them? Anybody know? Uh, I honestly don't. Okay. I, I said Algier would be the fifth. Okay. So I personally don't think CP can finish top 12. However, I think he can finish much better than RB 33. He's one of the few guys fin- going outside the top 32 backs that you can say could be your RB2. Mm-hmm. If you want to go zero RB, CP, he had 52 receptions. He scored 11 times in that Atlanta offense that is in dire need of somebody to handle the ball. Uh, look who's under center. They have Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter. They are handicapped, and CP is a reliable veteran at this point. He seceded last year. I expect him to secede again. Maybe not to the same levels as last year. No shot he finishes top 12. I don't know. There's I too many I don't other think running so backs either. who I think will finish ahead of him. Yeah. And you look at what happened last year, uh, Calvin Ridley. Yeah. And Patterson slowed down to the, to end the season oh, last he, year. Too. He was he like kinda, outside the top 50. Kind of fell terrible. off a cliff, yeah. It's, it's the age, though. And he's a kick returner, not a receiver or a running back. And those were the suggestions he was weapon. playing. Yeah. <laughs> you got a guy weapon. going back-to-back with him. Who is that? Yep. Chase Edmonds, RB34, just ahead or just behind uh, Cordero. Um, my thing with Miami is some running back is going to take over this offense. I And take when I say take over, take that lightly. Um, I'm not saying going to get every touch, going to get every red zone attempt. Um, someone has to finish higher than the others. Yes. And I, th- I think it will be, yeah, they're not all going to end with the same amount of yards, catches, points, etc. Um, 
and I, I think that it will be Chase Edmonds if I'm taking a shot on a guy. I really like Sony Michelle in late rounds, deep, deep leagues, um, because of how efficient, he, how good he was last year with the Rams. But I think that I McDaniel, think they're different types of running backs. Exactly. Too. And what McDaniel always loved in San Francisco was the speedier receiving back. And that's exactly what or Chase Edmonds is. He's one of the fastest running backs, fastest players in the league. Um, I think that he'll fit well with the system, especially with Tua, who is notorious for um, using his dump downs, uh, playing the short game. He's not, he doesn't throw beyond the sticks that often. Um, so I think that this plays well into Chase Edmonds' wheelhouse. I'm projecting him to get a lot of receptions, uh, going to have his breakaway plays, and he's a great late round, later round uh, sleeper that you can grab. He He's the lead back in a very run-dominant offense, I feel like, this mm-hmm. year. They're, they're going to be – they brought in Mike McDaniel, who's been the run game coordinator, and then he brought in the his offensive coordinator, Frank Smith, who was the run game coordinator – at LA Chargers. So I feel like Miami's backfield is going to be heavily involved. And Edmonds is simply that receiving guy. And I feel like if you're going to take a chance on anybody emerging from that backfield, it should be the receiving back simply for stability and upside there with the receiving. Um, And I'll give you a little bit of a floor too. Just um, another thing about Chase Edmonds, the average 5.1 yards per carry in his time. And he was good. Yeah. Um, in the few games that he got, I forget, 12 plus touches or yeah. whatever, he's averaged a high amount of points per game. Mm-hmm. I don't have it on the top of my head, but he's he's good when he handles the ball. And I think he fits well in this offense. So, uh, yeah, Chase Edmonds, grab him in a late round. Uh, there's no point not to who you're going to be. Who else is going on there? I mean, I guess Cordell Patterson. I mean, I, put in a vacuum, who do you want? I am going to get the receipt i'm gonna my last running back sleeper is another receiving back who could emerge as the leading back in his back <laughs> yes field. this guy could no. take over now naheem hines though at rb44 <clears throat> wow excuse me is a great value he's projected in my projected rankings as the rb36 frank reich loves him there was reports early on in the offseason reich saying draft Naheem Hines we need to feed him the ball more I think that's a little smoke you know and I think it's ironic of the coach to say that because you have a workhorse back in JT who touched the ball over 370 times last year Um, so it could be a little irony and sarcasm tied into that a little satire tied into those comments but I think the need is there for Naheem Hines to touch the ball more. He had a career high in yards per carry, yards per reception, yet he had the lowest touch total of his career. He's seen 75-plus targets twice. I projected him with 66. Good enough to support the RB36 finish. Yeah. Um, what was it? I brought this stat up last time we talked about Naheem Hines, I think about a month ago maybe. Um, when Philip Rivers was the quarterback in Indianapolis, they brought in a veteran. Uh, Naheem Hines saw a career high in catches. I think it was 63 catches. Um, those are great numbers for someone you're taking against RB44. He's going to be your fourth or fifth running back. Yeah. And at that point, you are drafting running backs who are either backups themselves or split backfields. Mm-hmm. Why not take the guy who has a solidified role as the receiving back in his offense? Yeah. And Matt Ryan, again, a quarterback prone to use his checkdowns. Yep. Smart enough not to just throw the ball away. Yep. 
let's play a game running back ceiling and floor. So we're going to present running backs who are being drafted either in the same round or grouped very closely together in ADP. We each chose three options just for simplicity. So I'll give Nick three running backs. He's going to tell me who has the highest ceiling and the lowest floor out of those three. Okay. So, so I'm going to do, I want to do this one first. DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, all being drafted towards the back half of the first round to early second round. Who has the highest ceiling out of those three? I'm going to say that the highest ceiling, the biggest performances will come from Aaron Jones. Um, he's going to see just a ton of targets this year in Green Bay. And we've seen how explosive that he can be in the past. Uh, last se- Every year he has a couple 40-point games. And if that is what we've seen as his ceiling, I think that is higher than what Dalvin Cook and DeAndre Swift both offer. They're both good running backs. That's why they're all going early. But if I'm going to pick one who I'm – if I have to – one week, if you said, Nick, who's going to outscore who, um, just volatility is what I'm going to ba- base my answer on, and I'm going to pick Aaron Jones. I think that he now, has the highest ceiling. Who has the lowest floor? Okay, so the lowest floor here, it may also be Aaron Jones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it can yeah. be the same Yeah, guy. I'm going to take Aaron Jones as the lowest floor. I think Dalvin Cook sees enough volume, enough carries in Minnesota this year, as he has in previous years, to just be viable every single game you're you're never going to bench him. You're never going to bench any of these guys, but you're never going to be worried that Dalvin Cook's going to like just not see much usage at all, like five, six carries and be like an absolute bust one week. Um, and then DeAndre Swift is just the best player on their team. Um, and in that offense, we see Jared Goff, again, another quarterback that uses his check downs. We'll see DeAndre Swift have a safe floor with um, the receiving game. But with Aaron Jones, we have A.J. Dillon to worry about. Neither of those other two guys, Swift and Cook, have a competent backup. So A.J. Dillon, I think we'll see him take over more of the carries. And depending on game script, we may not see much of Aaron Jones. We may not see him in the receiving game if the Packers happen to be blowing someone out. They may just be handing it to A.J. Dillon and just running it up the uh, lion's throat. So I am going to give my own answers. I think Dalvin Cook has the highest ceiling of this group just a bell cow and a great offense. He, he could potentially score 15 plus times mm-hmm. this year. And then the lowest floor for me is DeAndre Swift. If it's close between him and Jones for much of the same reason, they're in split backfields. Jamal Williams and AJ Dillon are the primary ground guys, we'll say uh, slight advantage. And the deciding factor, I'd rather have Aaron Rodgers throwing my running back the ball than Jared Goff. So those are my selections. Give me yours. Okay. Give me your next yeah, my situation. Next All right. So I did some round two running backs. Um, who's the lowest floor and who has the highest ceiling? I'm going to get, say, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, and Javante Williams. So which one do you want first? Uh, give me the highest or the highest ceiling first. Yeah. The highest ceiling for me. See, these guys are very dependent on uh, situations. But for mm-hmm. me, the highest ceiling is Javante Williams. Just because if something happens to Melvin Gordon, um, he's clear cut a top five running back, arguably top three. Mm-hmm. We saw in his lone in his lone start last year, he had 29 points. He has the most to gain, therefore, he has the highest ceiling. Now, if we take injuries out of this whole situation, Saquon Barkley definitely has the highest ceiling just with the circumstances around him right now. He's a, a receiving back. And Brian Dable's new offense, 
he the primary playmaker in his offense. He could be a centennial piece to the passing attack. I feel like he has the highest ceiling. Now, I also feel like he has the lowest floor as well. Um, we saw him really struggle last year, like really bad. Wayne Goleman beat him in efficiency metrics. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to flip it around to you. Who's your highest ceiling pick out of the three, and who's your lowest floor? I'm going to say my highest ceiling is Saquon. Um, I think that they're going to involve him more in the receiving game. He's had a year to recover from all of his injuries that he's been plagued with for the past two seasons. I, he's had a good offseason. He's in shape. He feels good. I think Saquon is – going to blow up this year i think that i'm if i'm going to pick saquon busts or six saquon booms this season i'm going to pick boom and i wouldn't have said that last year and he busted last year it's a very fine line to me it's like 50 yeah. 50 i could see him just repeating last year's putridness yeah or blowing blowing back up to his rb1 overall finish i'm going to say with the lowest floor though nick chubb um i just don't see myself leaving any drafts with nick chubb He's going to, even if he runs for 93 yards, he may not catch a pass and he may not score a touchdown. He scores nine points. And that is his floor. We've seen that before. We've seen him get 70 yards, which is still a good game in a football perspective, not a fantasy football perspective. 15 carries for 75 yards. It's five yards a carry with no trip to the end zone and only one catch. You're still under double digits. So it, I could definitely make the argument it's Nick Chubb, lowest floor. I picked those three guys because I thought they were all They're all much in difficult. this. They're difficult because they all have low floors and they all have high ceilings. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. I mean, Nick Chubb's ceiling is 150 yards and two touchdowns. Not many backs can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like him and Javante each are dependent on their backfield complement. Yes. And the scenarios there. You can't, same can't be said for Saquon. I'm going to give you one more ceiling and floor trio. J.K. Dobbins, Brees Hall, Elijah Mitchell, all are going in the fourth, fifth round. Okay. So who has the highest ceiling? The highest ceiling, I, I think I'd say J.K. Dobbins, but he's still injured right now. So I, don't want to say that yet, but if he's healthy, I'm going to say J.K. Dobbins. I think that the team is just too run heavy. His ceiling could be higher than some of the guys we mentioned going in round two in the last one. I think J.K. Dobbins could have a higher ceiling than Javante and Chubb. Um, uh, yeah, he averaged six yards per carry yeah. his rookie year. Exactly. Um, we haven't seen him since. But if I'm taking the injury into account, I'm going to say the highest ceiling is Brees Hall. I think that yep. he goes into a backfield that is his own. And I, I just project him to just blow up this year. And, yeah, lowest, lowest floor, floor, though. Again, injury plays a part, but I'm going to ignore that. Say they're say J.K. Dobbins is healthy. I'm going to say that Elijah Mitchell does have a lowest floor. I know that I'm super high on this guy, and I'm leaving tons of drafts with him in the fourth to fifth round, wherever I can get him at. Um, he could not be the starter. So yeah, there's a chance that he doesn't play. And Tyrion Davis-Price and Trey Sermon and Jeff Wilson, all Michael Hasty, so many names in that backfield um, take over and they just do RBBC. But I, for me, my highest ceiling is Brees Hall because he could be a dominant bell cow yeah. back. Uh, we could just see Michael Carter not be relevant mm-hmm. at all. All of them have really high ceilings though i would say i feel like Brees hall has the highest floor um now i feel like his volume that he's going to be given is pretty much locked and loaded that he's going to see 200 plus 
touches on the year. So his floor is much higher than mm. the other two. It's a toss-up between J.K. and Elijah Moore for lowest floor for me, both for much of the same reason. They have injury issues, mm-hmm. um, and they also have backfield competition. My thing is with these guys, I, I'm taking Elijah Mitchell of both of them just because we saw what he did last year. And we haven't seen Brees Hall in the NFL, and J.K. Dobbins, what he did last year was sit on the sideline. So that's why I'm going Elijah Mitchell in most drafts, just the consistency. So I'm going to ask you my last one. Round three running backs. Give me the highest ceiling out of Cam Akers, Ezekiel Elliott, and James Conner. Easily James Conner for me. He scored 18 times last year, 15 on the ground, uh, 10 touchdowns inside the five-yard line. He's the red zone guy in Arizona. Uh, He loses Chase Edmonds as his main competition. Daryl Williams comes back in. Eno Benchman enters his second year now. Perhaps they pressure him a little bit for on-field snaps. However, I feel like James Conner's touchdown upside, he can't handle the ball through the air. He had 37 catches off of just 39 targets. Now he's probably going to be much more involved in the receiving aspect without Chase Edmonds. He's one of the – he is the only guy in Arizona that could complete drives for them. Mm -hmm. They were – rather inefficient in the red zone they left the field with three points a lot the only times they left with six was in james connor could punch it in from close range i feel like that touchdown production alone gives him the highest ceiling now lowest floor is definitely cam Akers to me i feel like this one's pretty easy mm-hmm. zeke somewhere in the middle of both cam Akers, he's got a lot to lose not much to gain where he's going he faces a lot of pressures from Daryl Henderson. Hendo was a good back when he handled these starting worship. Yeah. yeah. What was it? 4.7 yards yeah. per carry from him. Mm-hmm. And so Cam Akers is somebody who we say is very volatile, high upside, high risk. I think it's all high risk, limited upside for me as well. Um, he's just a guy. He looked terrible in, in the playoffs. I think he has the lowest ceiling or lowest floor right now real quick i'll give mine james connor highest ceiling acres lowest floor so there same we go. reasons yep same exact thing follow us on twitter tiktok facebook youtube if you will at wag me fantasy more importantly go to our website wagmefantasy.com subscribe to winning with wag me it's going to be the newsletter that keeps you alert geared up for your draft day and it's going to set you above your whole league and competition. The New York Times of fantasy football. Amen. There we go. See you next time.